0: Happy Easter, He is risen. You say He is risen indeed at that point. It's a tradition of the church to confirm with one another as they look into God's word, the truth of what God's word says. And that is that Jesus Christ is indeed risen from the dead. We've already been singing about it. Uh, You've already been singing with your families about it. We've been talking about it all week, Uh, this prep for the Resurrection Sunday. And today is Easter Sunday, not the Easter Sunday that I had hoped I would be sharing with you, uh, but a little different than any of us could have anticipated. So that brings me to, to really the question of the day. Have you ever used the phrase, I can't believe it? You ever use that phrase? Or, I don't believe it. You could say it a variety of different ways. It can be in a shocking way, it can be amazement, it can be happiness, it can be sorrow. But it's interesting how that same phrase gets used in all of these different occasions. That phrase can be used for so many different things. When my wife told me we were gonna have girl number four, I think my expression was, I can't believe it. Or when we, um, somebody provided for our family in a generous way. Um, and that's happened throughout our lives and there's moments I just say, I can't believe it. Um, this epidemic that we're in right now, Three months ago, I'll bet our response would have been, if I stood in church in January and said, all right, here's how it's gonna go down. The world's gonna be isolated in homes in three months for the fear of a virus uh, pandemic. The stock market would crash 10,000 points in two weeks. Unemployment would grow to the highest levels on record ever before we get to April. People would have funerals in parking lots instead of church buildings. In fact, church buildings would be closed And all churches would be meeting online for a matter of months. The most treasured item in your house is going to be a roll of toilet paper. Yeah. Your expression back in January would have been mine exactly. I can't believe that. I can't can't believe that's actually going to happen. The phrase is not new. And this is the exact response we have on this Sunday from three groups of people that experienced the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Even with the open grave, it was incredibly difficult for those in Jerusalem to have open minds, which brings us to the title of today's message, which is, you know, sometimes the open grave opens minds. Mark focuses on these three groups with the attitude of how will they respond when they see the opened tomb of Jesus Christ? Let me read you the story in the book of Mark, verse one. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking spices they had prepared. First group, group of women. We typically think about this group of women like being one or two women. Mary Magdalene was there. We know that. But actually, Mark tells us it was a big group of women. Mary Magdalene was there. You can see this in verse 10. Mary, the mother of James, was there. Joanna was there. And Mark says, and a bunch of other ladies were there. And the reason that they were there is very much the same reason that we go to the gravesides of our loved ones today. Their desire was to dress the tomb up to give dignity to Jesus Christ, this one that they loved, who they had lost. And they expected the normal. They expected when they got there that they would see exactly what they expected to see. You see, they had seen Jesus and the horrific beatings. They had heard about the body of Jesus fighting for life on the cross, even if they weren't there. They had heard his cries of life ebb away. They had seen the Roman guard declare Jesus is dead. They had buried him in this very tomb three days earlier. They expected the norm. They expected that when they got to the tomb, they knew exactly what they were going to do. They were gonna find it as they had left it three days earlier. They would bring perfume. They would apply it to the grave, spices in order to dignify this burial. Like we would go visit a graveside and put flowers at the tombstone. This was their method of paying respects. But don't miss this. They did not come hoping to find something different. In fact, they came with no hope at all. Let me take you to verse two. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. This was unexpected. They expected something to be there that they had left there three days ago. Their reaction, Uh, you might've guessed it. Verse four, while they were perplexed about this. Now we read that in the Greek and the old language of the the Greek Bible. But the way that we would say that is, I don't believe this. I, I don't believe this. This is not how we left this place. There was a stone here. There was a body here. Jesus was here. What's going on, I can't believe this is happening. That is their response. They're probably wondering, did somebody steal the body? Why is the stone rolled away? This is not how we left things. And the background here is simply this. They could not go to the tomb for three days. They had killed Jesus really quickly because the Passover was coming. The Passover came on Friday, Saturday was the Sabbath. They couldn't get to the tomb. They couldn't desecrate themselves for ritual cleansing for Jewish people until first thing Sunday morning. And the Bible says as soon as the sun comes up, they are at the tomb. This was the day of resurrection, but they didn't expect it. This is why the authorities were so eager to kill Jesus quickly. This is why, you may be wondering, why did they break the legs of the thieves on the cross, but they didn't break Jesus' legs? It's because it took a long time for somebody to be crucified. It was a long, dismal, terrible, painful death. And so if you break the legs, you could no longer pull yourself up to get air and you would asphyxiate. The thieves had their legs broken, but when they came to Jesus, they found that he was, the Bible says, already dead. And just to be sure, they took a spear and they jammed it up his side from bottom to pierce his heart. And when that went up and pierced his heart, the Bible says water and blood flowed down. That indicated this man had died. Look at verse 4. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, (laughs) get this, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Now that would be the time to say, I don't believe this. This is what they would have wanted more than anything else in the world. But they had no impressions that that was actually going to happen. This was a time for reality, not for fairy tales. This was a serious moment. This body needed to be respected. That's why when Mary's, the account of Mary meeting the gardener, who she thought in John's gospel, who she thought was the gardener, but it was actually Jesus Christ. She was frustrated, she was stressed. She said, please tell me where you've taken him. I'll go and get him and bring him back. Why? Because she just wanted dignity for the dead. When these ladies showed up, they didn't expect any life at all. But then the angels reminded them, now this is key, reminded them of what Jesus had told them in verse six. They started this way. It's kind of like a, I told you so moment. They say, remember how he told you when he was still in Galilee, that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And on the third day rise again. Again, another moment to say, I don't believe it. Sure, they'd heard that stuff from Jesus before. This was the sermon that Jesus pulled out of his pocket over and over and over again. I feel guilty when I do that. Jesus just pulls it all over. Why? Because they weren't listening. He told them, if you crucify me, I'm going to rise again in three days. Tear down this temple, I'll rise again in three days. He used this message all the way through his ministry, but they weren't listening. Jesus had taught this at least a dozen times to his followers, that he would have to die and rise from the dead. Here's one in Matthew 16. From that time, Jesus began to show, now get this, show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Any questions? So why did they find it so difficult to believe? Martha, she thought maybe this was a spiritual resurrection or maybe this was a a talk about a resurrection like later on, like the great resurrection when the end arrives. And Jesus, when he showed up to raise Lazarus, he said, don't you realize I, I, I'm i going to raise myself from the I can, I have the power to raise things from the dead here. And Martha's response to him in John eleven twenty three 23 shows she had faith in him, but she didn't quite get what Jesus was saying. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. No idea that Jesus was about to raise her brother Lazarus from the dead. So it's no wonder 12 or so times, Jesus gives the same message people don't understand. They don't get it. Here's the problem we have a tendency to filter everything through the eyes of regular expectations. That's why we keep saying over and over again, I don't believe it. We filter everything through the eyes of regular expectations. We don't typically think in terms of, boy, I can't wait to expect for the unbelievable. Martha never even considered that Jesus was going to raise her brother that day. And every time these disciples and followers of Jesus heard the same message, kill me in three days, I'll rise again. I'm going to get killed in three days. I'm I'm going to die on a cross, crucifixion in three days, I'll rise again. It's like they weren't even hearing what he was saying because it was too unbelievable. But Jesus taught truth all the time. And he lives in the, I don't believe it moments. (laughs) He even prepped the disciples. Now listen to this, two weeks beforehand. He pulls the same message out two weeks beforehand and he gives it again. Look at what he says in Mark 10, verse 32. This is right before they get to Jerusalem. See, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man must be delivered over to the chief priests and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Can you be any more plain? But they didn't hear it because it was too unbelievable. And that was just two weeks ago, just two weeks before these women came to the tomb. Not only that, even after this, they were rem- reminded of repeated sermons of Jesus. In fact, in verse eight, it's like they had a eureka moment. Look in verse eight. And they, what does it say, church? They remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. But these words seemed to be an idle tale and they did not believe them. See it? I don't believe it. It's there again. These women are convinced They run back, they tell the disciples, and the disciples' response is exactly their response. I I can't believe that. Not out of a sinful heart, but out of hearts that are convinced by death. Now, here's where Jesus starts to go the extra mile. Mark gives us this illustration of Jesus' resurrection, the narrative of the whole thing, and he includes three groups in this. The first one were the women at the tomb, the mourners that came Sunday morning. The second group were the two men on the road to Emmaus. Now, Emmaus is quite a walk from Jerusalem, and these two men probably came for the festivals, the Passover, and the feasts that were going on. They were traveling back after it was all over. And they had heard the story that Jesus was not in his tomb anymore. They, had, they, they knew he was crucified. They, everybody knew what had happened. It was a mock trial done on a split-second moment. Everything was wrong about it. He was incited against by the mobs, and they declared that he should be crucified. Pilate washing his hands, when did the Romans ever acted like that? Everybody knew the story. And these two men are walking back to Emmaus, back home, perplexed about all the things that had happened, but more than that, they were hopeless. Because they had thought Jesus was the Messiah. They thought he was the one. But there can't be such a thing as a dead Messiah. The Messiah was promised to reign forever. Jesus laid in a tomb dead. And more than that, now they were walking back talking about how his tomb was empty. Did the disciples steal the body? Did the Romans take the body? Who took the body? And then they have a visitor. As they're walking back, depressed, sorrowful, hopeless, Jesus, the resurrected Christ, for some reason, a little hard to recognize, starts walking with them. And he asks them, what are you guys talking about? And they engage in a conversation that I would kill to be in on. And when they tell him all that had happened, and he pretends like he didn't know, look at what Jesus says to them in verse 25. And he said to them, "'O foolish ones, and slow of heart.'" Do you see it here? Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the the scriptures In the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Did you see it there? We can't believe it. We can't believe what's going on. So Jesus decides to give them an abbreviated seminary degree, a training, so that they would understand that everything from, now get this, Moses and the prophets. That was way back in Exodus. Apparently, Jesus thought the whole Bible was written about him. Now, you have to grasp that. Because if you think Jesus is a good guy or a good teacher, but he's not the son of God, you got to rethink your views because he was under the impression that the entire Bible was written about him. And we know that to be true. Jesus gives them a class in the Old Testament. They are amazed at this teacher that they've run into. So they invite him to lunch and he sits down and he has lunch with them. And guess what he does at lunch? He blesses the bread. He breaks it and he hands it to them. And my guess is, the Bible doesn't say this, but my guess is, when he handed them the bread, they saw the holes in his hand and Jesus opened their eyes and they recognized him. And then he disappeared from their sight. So guess what they did? They got up from the table and they ran to tell the disciples because they couldn't believe it. So they ran to tell the disciples, the followers of Jesus. And then we come to the third group. The third group is the disciples. Look in verse 36. This is the response of the disciples when they hear from these men, these travelers on the road to Emmaus. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be to you. And they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And now get this, church. Why do read it with me? Doubts arise in your hearts. Are you getting tired of this reaction? If I'm getting tired of this reaction, you gotta think that God's getting a little tired of it. I don't believe it. I can't believe it. Jesus because he knows the disciples have already heard from the women at the tomb. Now they've heard from the men on the road to Emmaus. And now the third third time he actually appears to them. And their reaction is, I can't believe it. This must be a spirit, we must all be hallucinating. I can only wonder what Jesus thinks about our unbelief at times. Jesus gives them, now listen, Jesus gives them more than an empty tomb. Oh, he gives them more than an empty tomb. Because with an empty tomb, you can make up all kinds of stories as to what happened to the body. But when you see Jesus after he was crucified in that horrific crucifixion, and when you see him afterwards, that's different. But they still didn't believe. They still go, I I can't believe it. It must be a spirit. So look what Jesus does in verse 39. Verse 39. See, he invites them, see my hands and my feet. What's different about his hands and his feet? They've got nail holes through them. See my, nail, uh, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. And then he says this, church, touch me and see, for spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. You see, Jesus gave them all the proof they needed to have. Because he loved them and he knew humans struggle to believe the unbelievable. Get this, feel my hands, feel my feet. That's an intimate moment, don't you think? It's like, no, no, I'm not just going to show you and then, you know, don't touch, don't touch. No, put your hand right here. Put your finger in the hole. Jesus goes to extreme lengths to overcome our unbelief. In church, if that, was, if that was it, that would be phenomenal enough. That would demonstrate the heart of a Savior who wants us to believe enough. But there's more. Look at what Jesus does in verse 41. And while they were still disbelieving for joy, and they were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Notice before we get to any of this, they're not disbelieving out of anger or fear or disappointment, they're disbelieving out of what? Out of what? Joy. They can't allow themselves to believe it because it's too good to be true. So what does Jesus do? He intentionally eats food in front of them. He gives them more to go on. Spirits don't eat food, Living beings eat food. Apparitions don't consume fish. Jesus goes to extreme lengths to help his disciples and everybody after the tomb, after they saw the tomb, he goes to extreme lengths to connect the dots for them. Verse 44, it's exactly what he does again. And he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus gave them a reminder of what they said they already believed. They believed the Old Testament, they believed the Old Covenant, they believed the Bible. But did they realize that it all talked about Jesus? Guys on the road to Emmaus didn't. Jesus taught them for three years and they never made the connection. But now he teaches them in a brand new way as a risen savior, as a fulfillment of all those Old Testament prophecies. He taught them what they needed to hear so that they could connect the dots. What a gracious, what a, what a condescending, gracious action on behalf of our Lord. Verse 45, then he opened their minds to help them to understand the scriptures. Apparently, when our dots are connected, church, when our dots are all connected, we look at Scripture and understand exactly what the guys on the road to Emmaus were meant to understand, exactly what the disciples were made to understand. We are meant to understand that the Bible speaks about Jesus. Jesus was under the impression that the Bible talked all about him. And that's what these three days were all about. Now, maybe your response is still, I don't believe it. I understand, you're in good company. It's hard to believe in the unbelievable, especially when we expect the norm. Look at what Jesus says in verse 46. He said to them, thus it is written, this is for us, this is for us today. This is for them back then, but it is written for us today. That's why he starts with, Thus it is written, the Bible says, this is a class we can sit in on, pull up a chair behind the disciples, pull up a chair behind the guys on the road to Emmaus, and listen to what Jesus says in these two short verses so that he connects the dots for us so that we can understand why the resurrection is essential. He said to them, thus it is written in scripture, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in jerusalem you see church easter is so much more than an empty tomb it's so much more it's about what the tomb means it's about what it signifies jesus is the fulfillment of god's promise from genesis to revelation jesus is the messiah jesus did die a physical death Jesus did rise from the dead, and our eternity hangs on the fact that Jesus was telling the truth about who he was and who he is to us today. It's about how everything in the Law and the Prophets, everything in the Old Testament is about Jesus. The open tomb begins to open our minds. It opens our minds to the unbelievable, Our sins can be forgiven. They are, this sacrifice makes me good with God. My hope in the resurrection of my body someday is true because Jesus rose from the dead. He was the first fruits of those who sleep. Ariatori said it this way. I look at the cross of Christ and I know that atonement has been made for my sins. I look at the open tomb and the risen ascended Lord, and I know that atonement has been accepted. There no longer remains a single sin in me, no matter how great my sins or how many there may have been. You see, church, the open grave is God's open invitation to you. Couple of things as we finish up. The open tomb by itself would have been a miraculous gift for us to see. Jesus is no longer there. That would have been great alone. But the open grave is God's open invitation to us. It's an open invitation that all who come can believe in Jesus Christ and they can have their sins forgiven as well. Because Jesus said he would die and rise from the dead three days later, the resurrection is essential to us. Because the Bible claims that Jesus rose from the dead, the resurrection is essential to us because the church hangs on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection is essential for us because if Jesus has not risen from the dead, we're all hopeless. And everything that we say is a sham. It's a lie. Paul, the apostle wrote these same words to the to Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, when he says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Fallen asleep means dead. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. The resurrection is the good news. The resurrection is the climax of Jesus' life. The resurrection is proof. He is God. In fact, the gospel means good news. And so in this world, where we hear nothing but bad news constantly. Let me remind you of the good news so that you can say, I believe that. You need some good words, the good news in this world of disbelief? Jesus goes out of his way even after he rose from the dead to show us all of these things that we can read and see and believe C.S. Lewis says it this way, the only thing keeping us from getting rid of the, I can't believe it, comment is our surrender. C.S. Lewis says, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something else, something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. God understands our questioning minds. That's what gets me about this whole story. When people saw the empty tomb, they needed the dots connected for them. But the open grave opens minds. Why did Jesus, why did, why did God roll the stone away for Jesus to begin with? Why did Jesus need the stone moved? Jesus literally was passing through things in his resurrected body. The Bible says he passed through his grave clothes. The Bible says he went into the upper room. In the passage we just read, they were locked in there for fear that they were next. They were the next one's going to be killed. And Jesus appears to them and Jesus disappears from them as well. Different occasions during the 40, 50 days after his resurrection. So why did he roll the stone away? You see, the stone was rolled away, not so that he could get out stone is rolled away so that we could look in so that we could see he is no longer there it was a part of the proof that god went to to show us jesus is the messiah the only son of god the one who died rose again and lives forevermore the one who can forgive us of our sins in matthew's gospel Matthew even says that the angels, when they appeared, said to the women, come and see. Jesus never expects us to accept everything by faith without going to extreme lengths to open our eyes to what might be unbelievable. The greatest I can't believe it for me moment is not necessarily just the open tomb. I have to tell you, the greatest I can't believe this for me is the fact that Jesus went to these extreme lengths to connect the dots for all these people who knew there was an empty tomb, but didn't understand it. The last thing I wanna tell you is this, Jesus helps us in our unbelief. The disciples were full of unbelief up to this day. (laughs) Please understand, Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, they're sleeping Sunday night if they can, or Saturday night into Sunday morning, they are full of unbelief. Even after they saw the empty tomb Sunday morning, they still couldn't believe it. The women saw the empty tomb and said, I don't believe it. Then they saw Jesus and they were convinced. The men on the road to Emmaus confirmed they knew the tomb was empty. And they said, we can't believe it until Jesus served lunch to them and showed them his hands and his feet. The disciples saw the empty tomb and the grave clothes, and still lived in fear, saying, they can't believe this. And then they touched Jesus' wounds. They ate fish with him and they were convinced. Jesus appeared to hundreds of people after his resurrection. You may not know this. Jesus stayed for 50 days beyond his resurrection and appeared to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And the reason he did is because we need help with our unbelief. After seeing Jesus, these people couldn't stop talking about Jesus' resurrection. In fact, hundreds and thousands of them went to their deaths because of their belief in the resurrected Lord. Uh, You may say, well, people die for all kinds of causes. It doesn't mean that those causes are right, perhaps. People will die for their beliefs if they're convinced their beliefs are true. But listen to me, people will not die for their beliefs if they have the smallest doubt that those beliefs are not true. They went to death for their belief in the resurrection. Why? I can only believe they saw the risen Lord. They ate with him. They touched his wounds. They learned from his teaching. Jesus' personal appearance after the resurrection convinced these followers to the point where they would turn the world upside down for this new faith, this Christian faith, this Jesus faith built on an Old Testament covenant but brought to us and fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Listen, no other religion on the world claims a bodily resurrection of anybody. Nobody claims a bodily resurrection because they can't offer a shred of proof. Christianity is the only religion that claims a bodily resurrection. That is somebody that rose from the dead and never will die again. You see, if somebody rises from the dead and claims that they'll never die again, you should find out where they live and go visit them. <laughs> it doesn't happen. Only Jesus, only Christianity brags on a risen Lord who will live forevermore. So my only one question at this point is simply this. Can you believe it? If you take anything away from today, take this. God is able to help us in our unbelief. In fact, apparently he loves to help us in our unbelief. And if you need help believing this good news, I would suggest that you pray to the God who opened the tomb to open your eyes and open your heart and help you see new realities that maybe you could not believe before, but you need his help so that you can now. If that's you, We have a tab on the side over here where I want to start my journey with Christ. Click on that tab, put in your information, and I'll get to you this week. We want to make sure that we give you every reason to believe in a risen Lord. Because church, he is risen. He is risen indeed. God bless you, church. I hope you have an amazing Easter, amazing celebration with your family and your friends, (laughs) mostly your family. But don't forget, this day is special, even if you're stuck indoors, even if you're isolated, this day is special because Jesus brings hope, not to groups that meet in churches, but he brings hope to those who follow him. God bless you, church.